Please be seated. Amen. Thank you, guys. It was great. Well, as Connor said, we're looking at the 19th to do an ugly sweater Sunday. So I really hope you'll come out and bring something fun and maybe something ugly. We were talking about it the other day, and Connor said, I know what I'm going to do. He says, I'm going to show up with a bunch of mirrors. <laughs> and we had fun talking about that. I said, yeah, but I got something way better. He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you going to put get a sweater and put a bunch of my pictures on? I said, you're right. <laughs> but I won't do that one. I'll save that one for Allison. I'll let Allison wear that one. <laughs> But I really do hope you'll, you'll kind of do something fun and maybe uh, join into the fun. I just want to say this. You know, sometimes as we look at church, and it's, and it's kind of a serious event in that we want to grow, we want to worship the Lord, we want to celebrate Him. But I also want to say to you that this should also, we should also be having fun. We should also be enjoying being with the body of Christ. And I don't think God is kind of in heaven all kind of stiff. Okay? Now, I can't dance. But you all know something? God made us in his image. And I've seen some people who can kind of move pretty good. My wife would be saying to me, you shouldn't even be doing that. <laughs> okay, But it's kind of cool how God has kind of gifted us in different ways. And he's given us senses of laughter and, and fun and mischief at different times. So we're going to just kind of have a fun Sunday. But also celebrating the greatness and goodness of God and rejoicing in his, his salvation and his giving us of Jesus. So just want to encourage you kind of look through that closet or maybe find something new, but let's kind of have some fun with that ugly sweater Sunday, and, and, and if you want to bring in a shirt with pictures of Connor, that's perfectly okay. <laughs> He's not here to defend himself. I don't know where he went. So, but very good. Well, let's have a word of prayer. We'll jump into things this morning. Father, I want to say thank you so very much for your richness and your goodness to us. And Father, I just think of that last song we just sang, and Father, our lives at times are challenging, trying. And Father, as we walk the journey of life, there are times when we say, okay, God, any time now would be really good. Father, I just ask that you would teach us patience, teach us to wait on you. But Father, also build our faith in trusting you and recognizing that sometimes Your words to us are wait, but trust, follow, listen. And so, Father, we would ask you to help us to do that. And, Father, this morning as we look at this next individual in the story of Jesus' life, in the story of Jesus' lineage, Father, I'd ask you to just guide our time, build into us, and strengthen us. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, last week, as we kind of started out with everything, I started out with this. Every Bible story has a purpose. And we're kind of, we're back to that point again today as well. And I want to remind you of that and encourage you to be thinking through that. All of these various Bible stories that we read and we see in Scripture, there is a purpose. And so I would encourage you at different times, as you sit down and look at these various stories, ask the question, why is God telling us this particular story. And today we're going to be looking at Rahab. 
Our story today is the story of Rahab, and we see Rahab immediately in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. I won't read all of it, but here's what it says. And Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab. Now here's what's interesting. Do any of you remember reading about Salmon? You don't. You guys didn't read in the Bible the story about Salmon. I'm shocked. Or maybe it's just not there. Isn't that interesting? The only time we hear about Salmon is right here. We don't know the story of Salmon, but we know the story of Rahab. We know the story of his wife. At least part of it. A snippet. So why did God tell this particular story? Now here's what's interesting. Like I said, we had just a snapshot. Or to put it in today's cultural framework... If you were to look up Rahab's uh, social media site, she'd have one picture with three or four comments. Biblically. One picture, this little picture, Jericho, walls coming down, and a couple of comments. That's all you'd see from her biblical story. Just a, for us old folk, it's a Polaroid snapshot. We watch it develop. Just a little, little bit. A little snippet. Well, let's kind of look at some of the things that I think are going on that I think um, are really cool. And as we sang that last song, I'm just going to kind of pull it up on my my notes here so as um, I get to kind of look at the songs and all that kind of stuff. I'm using the, 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 the program that we use to display everything. And here's, just to give you guys some memory, as, as they started to sing, they said, walking around these walls, I thought by now they'd fall. Stories about Jericho. And sometimes there's a reality in our lives where things weigh on us. And we're waiting for God to do something different. Well, here's what stands out to me as I look at the story of Rahab and as we start to have a conversation about her. God redefines the labels we bear. He redefines those things. He redefines us. So you're going to read about Rahab and you're going to hear about her in a number of points in these snippets. She's talked about a couple of times in the New Testament we're going to look at James and Hebrews a little bit later. Each time that she's referred to, she's referred to as a prostitute. Now, are we defined then for life by the labels we are given? Are we? Um, look at Joshua chapter 2, verse 1, and we see it right there. Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two men as spies from the Acacia Grove, saying, Go and scout the land, especially Jericho. So they left, and they came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and they stayed there. Now, probably in some ways, this would probably be a safe place to go if you're a spy. The neighbors expect to see strange men going into Rahab's house? They do. Probably fewer questions being asked 
if they were to stay there than if they were to go to the local hotel or the local pub that has rooms upstairs. But here you go. You, you, she's, she's just a fine. She's, she's been placed in this category. Prostitute, kind of that person that no one wants to have a lot of affiliation with except for certain people. A lot of people don't want to interact with her. Probably the person that the women, as they, well, women walk down the street, they really don't want to interact with her. They don't want to talk to her. They want to shun her. Men, as they interact with her, they really don't want to know her. She's just an object. She's not really a person. And of course, you know the story of Rahab and understand some components. And I'm sure that as you think about her life, I'm sure that as she was a little girl and she was growing up, she was saying to herself, I can't wait one day to become a prostitute. I don't think that that was necessarily how she saw her life going and what she anticipated her life to be. It's what her life became. But I can't imagine that she aspired to that lifestyle as a young girl or a young woman. But it is what life delivered her. Because of the various circumstances, choices, and other things that transpired, it led her down that path. And what's amazing is that God redefines our labels. Now, how many people around us do you see stuck with different labels? Maybe you feel stuck with different labels. But let me tell you the label that really shifted and changed for Rahab. Again, you'll see in James and in Hebrews that she's referred to as a prostitute, but when you read in Matthew, she's not referred to as a prostitute. You see that she has two other significant distinctions. She's a wife and a mother. Her designation, her labeling of life changed. Something happened in her life that changed how she was seen, changed how she was defined, changed the course of who she became. What's interesting to me is that God has always been a God who renames and redefines us. Abraham was renamed from Abram to Abraham. Others were renamed. We used this reference a a number of weeks ago, and I really appreciate this particular reference. I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians again. I love what's going on here. And, and I want to land on a particular point, but I'm going to start at verse 9. And again, 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 to 11, go, go this. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived, no sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindles will inherit God's kingdom. That's a Scary, but defining list for people. But I love what verse 11 says. It says, And some of you used to be like this, but you were washed, 
you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Some of you used to carry those labels. Some of you used to be defined in these ways. But not anymore. Those labels, those designations, those descriptions, they describe how you used to be. They describe what used to be a part of your life. But those things don't define you and those things don't describe you any longer. Why? Because God has a way of redefining the labels that we wear. The labels that are placed on us. Sometimes the labels that we place on ourselves and sometimes the labels that others place on us. I don't know about you, but I'm grateful for that. That I don't have to bear some of the labels that could have defined my life. And here's what's also really cool. Because I, this is what I loved about the song, because we song talk about walking around those walls, waiting for them to fall. We talk about those trials and challenges in our life where we're waiting for victory. As we learn to rest in God, as we learn to trust God, He begins to redefine our lives. And sometimes even the things that we are wrestling with right now, those things no longer need to define us. But we can be defined by something better. So, God redefines the labels we bear. The next thing that stands out to me is aligning with God requires a change in loyalties. It does require a change in loyalties. Look at Joshua chapter 2, verses 2 to 7. The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelite men have come here tonight to investigate the land. Then the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab and said, Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, for they came to investigate the entire land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. So she said, Yes, the men did come to me, but I did not know where they were, where they were from. At nightfall, when the city gate was about to close, the men went out, and I, didn't, and I don't know where they are going. Chase after them quickly, and you can catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them among the stalks of flax she had arranged on the roof. The men pursued them along the road to the ford of the Jordan, and as soon as they left to pursue them, the city gate was shut. There was a significant change in loyalties that took place in Rahab's life. This is huge. Now, Usually in our society, people hate those that change their loyalties. What could she fairly be called? Traitor. Traitor. Absolutely. She could fairly be called a traitor. But what took place in her life is there was an absolute change in loyalty. 
She made a decision to protect the spies. She made a decision to align herself with the nation of Israel as they were coming into the land and taking the land. She made a very intentional decision to do that. There's a significant change in loyalty. Now, when we come to know Jesus as our Savior, what needs to take place in our lives? A change in loyalties, correct? Overwhelmingly, we're turning from sin and we're turning to Christ. We're turning from one pattern of life and we're turning to a new pattern of life. And what happens sometimes in that process is that the people around us and people involved in our lives, in our lives as we are living over here, and we turn and we reorient our life because there's a change in loyalty that starts to take place in our life, what do you think happens with these individuals over here as they start to interact with us? They get annoyed. Jesus talked about this a little bit. Luke chapter 6, verses 22 and 23. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, insult you, and slander your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, leap for joy, take note, your reward is great in heaven, for this is what the, their ancestors used, how, how their ancestors used to treat the apostles, or the, uh, the prophets. Expect it, guys, expect it. Jesus is talking and he says, listen, you need to expect that because you're affiliated, because you're associated with me, all of these individuals here you used to associate with, all these individuals you used to spend time with, all these people you used to hang out with, and now you've shifted loyalties from this lifestyle, from these individuals, and you've shifted loyalties to Christ, and your life starts to change, they're going to get ticked off at you. Now here's part of the reason why. There's probably a couple of things that are going on. Number one is that basic thing like what? You don't have time for us anymore? You have a new set of friends and you don't have time for us anymore? What, have you become better than us or are we no longer good enough to hang out with you? So there might be some of that kind of attitude stuff that's going on. But another significant component of life though is, you know guys, I'd love to hang out but I don't do that stuff anymore. I don't watch those kinds of things. I don't talk those kinds of ways. I don't do these various behaviors that we used to do. I talked to you a little recently about my dad. My, my dad, before he came to know Christ, would drink. I talked about the history of my family with alcohol. And as I talked about that, my dad would drink till he would pass out at different times. But he came to know Christ as a Savior. And that part of his life disappeared. As a kid growing up in my household, I never, ever, ever saw my dad touch any alcohol. I never saw him ever drink a drop of alcohol. Why? Because when he came to know Jesus as a Savior, these patterns of life that used to define his life changed. And he walked away from those things. He embraced Christ, and he embraced a new life. He embraced a new lifestyle. He no longer chose to be defined by this pattern of behavior over here anymore. There was a change of loyalties that took place in his life. 
Rahab had a major, major change in life and in loyalties. And it also suggests to you that a change in loyalties means allowing changes in your life. You need to be willing to allow it. Again, we talk, we've talked about this reference before, but I love this reference as well. It's in Galatians. It talks about the fruit of the Spirit, but I'm going to start at verse 16. I say then, walk by the Spirit. Excuse me, I'll start again. I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I am warning you about these things as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But he goes on. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. If we live live by the Spirit, let us also then keep in step with the Spirit. What is, what is Paul talking to, talking about as he's talking to the church in Galatia? He's saying, guys, listen, all of these things, this list that I just gave you that define all these kinds of behaviors that describe people who are far from God and who are alienated from God, that's who you used to be. All this is the stuff that you used to do. But God wants you to turn your back from that. God wants you to turn away from that. And God wants you now to live in the power of the Spirit which has been placed in your life. As you came to know Jesus as your Savior, the Holy Spirit came and took up residence in your life. And the Holy Spirit now is seeking to lead you into truth, to lead you into righteousness. He's seeking to help you to understand the words of Scripture and help you to come to understanding of who God is and what it means to walk in relationship with God. And so as you now learn to walk in step with the Spirit and as you learn to live and follow the leading of the Spirit, these are the kinds of things that you should start to see fleshed out in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. These types of things are the things that should start to happen in your life. See, there's a change in loyalty. I used to be devoted to these patterns of behavior over here. These patterns used to define my life, but now I know Jesus. And now these things start to define my life. I am intentionally reorienting my life. I am intentionally turning from one set of patterns of behaviors, one directional path of life, and I am turning and I'm reorienting myself intentionally towards a new pattern of life. And that's exactly what Rahab did. Significant, huge shift in loyalties took place. The next part, Rahab is a story reminding us of the transforming and saving power of faith. 
Look what takes place in this whole conversation. And I want you to notice here that Rahab is the initiator. These men went to Rahab's house because they figured it was the safest place to hide. It was the least conspicuous place to come into town, explore, and sneak out. But Rahab is the initiator in this conversation. She lied to the king. She redirected the king in a different direction. It says, Before the men fell asleep, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land, and that the terror of you has fallen on us and on everyone who lives in the land is panicking because of you. For, you, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you, before you when you came out of Egypt. And, and pause for a second. What they, they haven't crossed the Jordan yet. Okay? They have not crossed the Jordan yet. They're still on the other side of the Jordan right now. So Joshua sent the spies, but they're on the other side of the Jordan. And what God is about to do, he's going to dry up the Jordan too, so everyone can walk across. But that hasn't happened yet. But they do know about the Red Sea, and the Red Sea being split, the Red Sea, everything drying out, and the nation, the army of Egypt being destroyed. They know all about that. We also know what you did to Sihon and Og. And the two Amorite kings you completely destroyed across the Jordan. When we heard this, we lost heart and everyone's courage failed because of you. Catch this. For the Lord, your God, is God in heaven above the earth and and earth below. Now please swear to me by the Lord that you will also show kindness to my father's family because I showed kindness to you. Give me a sign that you will spare the lives of my father, mother, brothers, sisters, and all who belong to them and save us from death. The men answered her, we will give our lives for yours if you don't report our mission. We will show kindness and faithfulness to you when the Lord gives us the land. Now, I want you to see she is the initiator of this process. She sees what's going on. And her response is, I see that you guys are mighty. I see that you guys are powerful. No, she is recognizing that it is God. The Lord, the God of heaven and earth. The God of the nation of Israel that is giving them victory. And she knows that the Lord, the God of Israel, is going to allow them to conquer the land. She is acknowledging and choosing to align herself with the God of the people of Israel. That's where she's at. And she says, guys, I'm expecting you to honor my sacrifice and my shift of loyalties to protect you. Will you do the same? Will you do it under the power and the name of God? It continues. Look at verses 15 to 21. It says, Then she let them down by a rope through the window, 
since she lived in a house that was built into the wall of the city. Go to the hill country so that the men pursuing you won't find you, she said to them. Hide there for three days until they return. Afterward, go on your way. The men said to her, we'll be, we will be free from this oath you made us swear. Unless when we enter the land, you tie this scarlet cord to the window through which you let us down. Bring your father, mother, brothers, and all your father's family into your house. If anyone does not if anyone goes out of the doors of your house, his death will be his own fault, and we will be innocent. But if anyone with you is in the house and should be harmed, his death will be our fault. If you report our mission, we are free from the oath you made us swear. Let it be as you say, she replied, and she sent them away. And after they had gone, catch this last part, she tied the scarlet cord to the window. Now I want you to understand something. She made this commitment, and then she takes the scarlet cord, ties it out the window, and lets, lets it hang there. Now, is this just for like a couple days? No, it's a number of weeks. It's a, an extended period of time. Because the nation of Israel right now is still on the other side of the Jordan. The spies are going to hide for three days in the mountains, in the hills. Then they're going to work their way back to Joshua. After they get back to Joshua, they're going to tell Joshua, they're going to tell him everything that's going to go on. Then he's going to move the nation of Israel across the Jordan. After they cross the Jordan, they're going to recircumcise everyone who hasn't been circumcised as a nation to remove offense before God because circumcision is a sign of relationship with God. They're going to wait for everyone to get healed. And then they're going to march to Jericho. And then when they get to Jericho, they're going to march around the city for six days before the seventh day when they march around it seven times. So she is letting this scarlet cord hang out the window of her house outside the wall for weeks. Rahab. Why do you leave that cord hanging out the window? You've never done that before. What's going on? Weeks. Probably a couple of months. She is waiting and living in the tension of having shifted loyalty. There is tension when we shift loyalty, isn't there? There really is. Now, what stands out to me, a couple areas. Let's first of all look at James. Let's go back to Joshua, another thing. They scout the land. I just want to read this last part, the fulfillment. Joshua chapter 26, verses 22 and 23. One more call. I drove Joan nuts last night. I went to bed and cough, 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 cough. You know how you get this periodically? <laughs> All right. So Joshua said to the two men who had scouted the land, the walls are down, the city's defeated. Go to the prostitute's house and bring the woman out of there and all who are with her just as you swore to her. So the young men who had escorted who had scouted, went and brought out Rahab and her father, mother, brothers, and all who belonged to her. They were brought out 
her whole family and settled them outside the camp of Israel. All of them rescued and saved. Why? Because they listened and followed. They followed the directions that were given, but they trusted that God would protect. It was interesting, her house is built on the wall. And God knocked all the walls down. Except hers. Everything came down. Except her house remained intact. James. I want to read this in a context because James talks about Rahab. He says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed, but you don't give them what they, the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it does not have works, is dead by itself. But someone will say to you, have faith, and I have, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I will show you faith by my works. You believe that God is one? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. It's a whole conversation that James is having about the significance that our faith should be borne out, not just by the words of saying, I have faith, but our faith should be borne out by evidence, by action. That's how you see it, and that's how it's verified. In, in that context, he says, listen, the, Satan and the angels, Satan and the demons believe that there's God. They know God. They believe that, but they don't trust him. But they believe that, and they shudder. Senseless person, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Wasn't Abraham, our father, justified by works in offering Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was active together with his works, and by works, faith was made complete. And the scripture was filled that says Abraham believed God and was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works in receiving the messengers and sending them out by a different route? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Here's what's amazing to me. James talks about Rahab in the same context, in the same way as he talks about Abraham. As an example of faith, as an example of devotion, as an example of a shift in loyalties, but learning to trust God. She's lifted up as a hero of faith. The other place is Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11 is that chapter in Scripture where we would say, here are the Old Testament heroes of faith. The Old Testament accounts of faith. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after being marched around by the Israelites for seven days. And by faith, Rahab the prostitute welcomed the spies in peace and didn't perish with those who disobeyed. And again, where is she? She's on the same list as all of these other amazing people who learned to live by faith. Wow, what? Going back to the first thing we talked about, what a redesignation 
What an amazing relabeling of her life. Being associated with Abraham, being associated with all these amazing individuals in, in, in Hebrews 11 who've learned to walk and to live by faith and who lived out their lives trusting God. And she is listed among them. Why? Because Rahab is a story reminding us of the transforming and saving power of faith. I'm not ready for that next one yet. She is a reminder of that saving, redeeming power of faith. Faith is huge. So you ask the question, why does God tell this little snippet? Why is this little snapshot taken? I think part of it is because it's telling us the important lesson of faith. Now you can put that last one up. Everyone's writing quickly. Rahab reminds us that there is hope for everyone. There is hope for everyone. Now, can I say, tell you something? Isn't that just, in essence, the story of Christmas anyway? Reminds us of hope, seeks to bring joy. But think about this for a second. Rahab was a person whose life was clearly and undeniably defined by all of those things that God said are those things that are, represent being alienated and far from him. She was not your picture of chaste and righteous. She was the exact opposite. And again, we don't know all of the things that drove her life and brought her life to that particular point. But that's where she lived. And that's who she became. A prostitute. But as she chose to shift loyalties, God also shifted her identity. And she was shifted and changed. And she became something new and something different. Her life was no longer defined by those old patterns. And she was freed from that. The individuals we read about in in Corinthians. What took place in all of their lives. That's what you used to be. But you're no longer defined by those things. You're no longer categorized by those things. You are now something significantly different. You're something richer and deeper in the eyes and the sight of God. Why? Because you have been transformed by the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Amen is right. We read in Galatians, these are the things that used to define the old life, but now God has given us a different pathway to walk, and a different pathway to walk in which we are empowered by the presence of the Holy Spirit to live in a way that honors God and transforms us. A new hope. We have a reason for hope. Rahab reminds us that there is hope for everyone. 
Every single one of us has a reason for hope. Everyone watching has a reason for hope in Jesus. Rahab was an outsider. She wasn't part of the nation of Israel. As a nation of Israel was coming in to the promised land, what was their mission? Their mission by God was to wipe everyone out. They were coming as instruments of the justice of God. And she had been under the auspices of judgment. But God redeemed her out of that and gave her life. There is hope for all of us that we can be redefined. There is hope for all of us that we can be reshaped by the hope and victory that comes through faith. There is hope. Let's pray together. Father, as we think of this account, and Father, as we walk through the specifics of this story, Father, I want to say thank you this morning that you are reminding us of the power of hope, but also the power of faith. Because through faith, as we rest in you and put our trust in you, you give victory, you give hope, you give life, and you rewrite the storyline for us. Father, I thank you for that. I thank you for the amazing ways that you show us who you are and the amazing ways in which you can work in us. Father, I thank you for that. In Jesus' precious name, amen. The story of Rahab is perfect as we come together to partake in communion. And just real quick, what a blessing it is to do communion during a time where we're taking extra time to reflect on Jesus coming here as fully God and fully man during the Christmas season. I, I real quick just wanted to read Colossians 1, 21 to 23, because I think it perfectly summarizes everything that Andrew talked about and that we see in the story of Rahab. So verse 21 says this, Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds, expressed in your evil actions, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him, if indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. So right there we have change of label from alienated and hostile to reconciled. We have change of loyalty as he makes you holy and blameless. We have hope that we are forgiven and one day we'll stand before Jesus holy and blameless. Right there, everything that we see in the story of Rahab. And what Jesus' death and resurrection that we'll in a moment meditate and reflect on, what that means for you is to those who keep failing, you have forgiveness and hope that one day you will be blameless before Jesus. Those with a messy past, that can be redefined. Those who are weary and tired 
can be comforted and know that they have a better rest coming one day. Those who feel hopeless, they have hope. Jesus' death and resurrection changes everything. And this communion is a chance to remember and confess and reflect and worship. But before we take communion, there's just two warnings. First, communion is only for believers. If you are here and you have never believed in Jesus, just sit Watch, observe. After the service, talk to someone that took communion and ask them, why do you do this? What is this about? But for you that do not know Jesus, and you watching online, if you don't know Jesus right now, you can cry out to him and be saved and have hope and the process of loyalties changing start. So what you can do now, if you don't know Jesus, while we're praying and taking communion, cry out to God, I am a sinner and I trust that you, your death, your resurrection, taking my sin, you're my savior. Take time during communion, if you have not believed in Jesus, to do that. Cry out to God. And the other warning is that communion is only for repentant believers. If you are here No one is perfect. But if there's a sin in your life that you're not confessing, you have no desire to deal with, do not take communion because there are serious warnings about that. And there is no shame about that. That takes a lot of humility and honesty. But don't take communion. What we're going to do now is we're just going to take a couple of moments to quiet our hearts and minds, confess our sins to God, So we'll be right before him, worship him, reflect on his death and resurrection, and then we'll take these two elements together. So just a couple of moments. Confess your sins. Worship God privately.